Chapter thirty one of Aurora Floyd. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susan Frum. Aurora Floyd by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Thirty one. Talbot Bulstrode's Advice. Talbot Bulstrode went out early upon the quiet Sunday morning after Aurora's arrival and walked down to the telegraph company's office at charing cross whence he dispatched a message to mr john mellish it was a very brief message only telling mr mellish to come to town without delay and that he would find aurora in half moon street mr bulstrode walked quietly homeward in the morning sunshine after having performed this duty even the london streets were bright and dewy in that early sunlight for it was only a little after seven o'clock and the fresh morning breezes came sweeping over the housetops bringing health and purity from shooter's hill and highgate streatham and barnsbury richmond and hampstead the white morning mists were slowly melting from the worn grass in the green park and weary creatures who had had no better shelter than the quiet sky were creeping away to find such wretched resting-places as they might in that free city in which to sit for an unreasonable time upon a doorstep or to ask a rich citizen for the price of a loaf is to commit an indictable offence surely it was impossible for any young legislator not quite worn out by a lifelong struggle with the time which was never meant to be set right surely it was impossible for any fresh-hearted prosperous young liberal to walk through those quiet streets without thinking of these things talbot bulstrode thought very earnestly and very mournfully to what end were his labours after all he was fighting for a handful of cornish miners doing battle with the rampant spirit of circumlocution for the sake of a few benighted wretches buried in the darkness of a black abyss of ignorance a hundred times deeper and darker than the material obscurities in which they laboured he was working his best and his hardest that these men might be taught in some easy unambitious manner the simplest elements of christian love and christian duty he was working for these poor far-away creatures in their forgotten corner of the earth and here around and about him was ignorance more terrible because hand in hand with the ignorance of all good there was the fatal experience of all evil the simple cornish miner who uses his pickaxe in the region of his friend's skull when he wishes to enforce an argument does so because he knows no other species of emphasis but in the london universities of crime knavery and vice and violence and sin matriculate and graduate day by day to take their degrees in the felon's dock or on the scaffold how could he be otherwise than sorrowful thinking of these things were sodom and gomorrah worse than this city in which there were yet so many good and earnest men labouring patiently day by day and taking little rest was the great accumulation of evil so heavy that it rolled for ever back upon these untiring sisyphuses or did they make some imperceptible advance toward the mountain-top despite of all discouragement with this weary question debating itself in his brain mr bulstrode walked along piccadilly toward the comfortable bachelor's quarters whose most commonplace attributes lucy had turned to favour and to prettiness 
but at the door of the gloucester coffee-house talbot paused to stare absently at a nervous-looking chestnut mare who insisted upon going through several lively performances upon her hind legs very much to the annoyance of an unshaven ostler and not particularly to the advantage of a smart little dog-cart to which she was harnessed you needn't pull her mouth to pieces my man cried a voice from the doorway of the hotel use her gently and she'll soon quiet herself steady my girl steady added the owner of this voice walking to the dog-cart as he spoke talbot had good reason to stop short for this gentleman was mr john mellish whose pale face and loose disordered hair betokened a sleepless night he was going to spring into the dog-cart when his old friend tapped him on the shoulder this is a rather lucky accident john for you're the very person i want to see said mr bulstrode i've just telegraphed to you john mellish stared with a blank face don't hinder me please he said i'll talk to you by and by i'll call upon you in a day or two i'm just off to felden i've only been in town an hour and a half and should have gone down before if i had not been afraid of knocking up the family he made another attempt to get into the vehicle but talbot caught him by the arm you needn't go to felden he said your wife's much nearer eh she's at my house come and have some breakfast there was no shadow upon talbot bulstrode's mind as his old schoolfellow caught him by the hand and nearly dislocated his wrist in a paroxysm of joy and gratitude it was impossible for him to look beyond that sudden burst of sunshine upon john's face if mr mellish had been separated from his wife for ten years and had just returned from the antipodes for the sole purpose of seeing her again he could scarcely have appeared more delighted at the prospect of a speedy meeting aurora here he said at your house my dear old fellow you can't mean it but of course i ought to have known she'd come to you she couldn't have done anything better or wiser after having been so foolish as to doubt me she came to me for advice john she wanted me to advise her how to act for your happiness yours you great yorkshireman and not her own bless her noble heart cried mr mellish huskily and you told her i told her nothing my dear fellow but i tell you to take your lawyer down to doctor's commons with you to-morrow morning get a new license and marry your wife for the second time in some quiet little out-of-the-way church in the city aurora had risen very early upon that peaceful sunday morning the few hours of feverish and fitful sleep had brought very little comfort to her she stood with her weary head leaning against the window frame and looked hopelessly out into the empty london street she looked out into the desolate beginning of a new life the blank uncertainty of an unknown future all the minor miseries peculiar to a toilette in a strange room were doubly miserable to her lucy had brought the poor luggageless traveller all the paraphernalia of the toilette table and had arranged everything with her own busy hands but the most insignificant trifle that aurora touched in her cousin's chamber brought back the memory of some costly toy chosen for her by her husband she had travelled in her white morning dress and the soft lace and muslin were none the fresher for her journey but as two of lucy's dresses joined together would have scarcely fitted her stately cousin mrs mellish was fain to be content with her limp muslin what did it matter the loving eyes which noted every shred of ribbon every morsel of lace every fold of her garments were perhaps never to look upon her again 
she twisted her hair into a careless mass at the back of her head and had completed her toilette when lucy came to the door tenderly anxious to know how she had slept i will abide by talbot's decision she repeated to herself again and again if he says it is best for my dear that we should part i will go away for ever i will ask my father to take me far away and my poor darling shall not even know where i have gone i will be true in what i do and will do it thoroughly she looked to talbot bulstrode as a wise judge to whose sentence she would be willing to submit perhaps she did this because her own heart kept forever repeating go back to the man who loves you go back go back there is no wrong you can do him so bitter as to desert him there is no unhappiness you can bring upon him equal to the unhappiness of losing you let me be your guide go back go back but this selfish monitor must not be listened to how bitterly this poor girl so old in experience of sorrow remembered the selfish sin of her mad marriage she had refused to sacrifice a schoolgirl's foolish delusion she had disobeyed the father who had given her seventeen years of patient love and devotion and she looked at all the misery of her youth as the fatal growth of this evil seed so rebelliously sown surely such a lesson was not to be altogether unheeded surely it was powerful enough to teach her the duty of sacrifice it was this thought that steeled her against the pleadings of her own affection it was for this that she looked to talbot bulstrode as the arbiter of her future had she been a roman catholic she would have gone to her confessor and appealed to a priest who having no social ties of his own must of course be the best judge of all the duties involved in domestic relations for comfort and succour but being of another faith she went to the man whom she most respected and who being a husband himself might as she thought be able to comprehend the duty that was due to her husband she went downstairs with lucy into a little inner room upon the drawing-room floor a snug apartment opening into a mite of a conservatory it was mr and mrs bulstrode's habit to breakfast in this cosy little chamber rather than in that awful temple of slippery morocco funereal bronze and gas ghastly mahogany which upholsterers insist upon as the only legitimate place in which an englishman may take his meals lucy loved to sit opposite her husband at the small round table and minister to his morning appetite from her pretty breakfast equipage of silver and china she knew to the smallest weight employed at apothecary's hall i think how much sugar mr bulstrode liked in his tea she poured the cream into his cup as carefully as if she had been making up a prescription he took the simple beverage in a great shallow breakfast cup of fragile turquoise sevres that had cost seven guineas and had been made for madame de barry the rococo merchant had told talbot had his customer been a lady i fear marie antoinette would have been described as the original possessor of the porcelain mrs bulstrode loved to minister to her husband she picked the bloated livers of martyred geese out of the strasbourg pies for his delectation she spread the butter upon his dry toast and pampered and waited on him serving him as only such women serve their idols but this morning she had her cousin's sorrows to comfort and she established aurora in a capacious chintz-covered easy-chair on the threshold of the conservatory and seated herself at her feet my poor pale darling she said tenderly what can i do to bring the roses back to your cheeks 
love me and pity me dear aurora answered gravely but don't ask me any questions the two women sat thus for some time aurora's handsome head bent over lucy's fair face and her hand clasped in both lucy's hands they talked very little and only spoke then of indifferent matters or of lucy's happiness and talbot's parliamentary career the little clock over the chimney-piece struck the quarter before eight they were very early these unfashionable people and a minute after mrs bulstrode heard her husband's step upon the stairs returning from his anti-breakfast walk it was his habit to take a constitutional stroll in the green park now and then so lucy had thought nothing of this early excursion talbot has let himself in with his latch-key said mrs bulstrode and i may pour out the tea aurora but listen dear i think there's some one with him there was no need to bid aurora listen she had started from her low seat and stood erect and motionless breathing in a quick agitated manner and looking toward the door besides talbot bulstrode's step there was another quicker and heavier a step she knew so well the door was opened and talbot entered the room followed by a visitor who pushed aside his host with very little attention to the laws of civilized society and indeed nearly drove mr bulstrode backward into a gilded basket of flowers but this stalwart john mellish had no intention of being unmannerly or brutal he pushed aside his friend only as he would have pushed or tried to push aside a regiment of soldiers with fixed bayonets or a lancaster gun or a raging ocean or any other impediment that had come between him and aurora he had her in his arms before she could even cry his name aloud in her glad surprise and in another moment she was sobbing on his breast my darling my pet my own he cried smoothing her dark hair with his broad hand and blessing her and weeping over her my own love how could you do this how could you wrong me so much my own precious darling had you learned to know me no better than this in all our happy married life i came to ask talbot's advice john she said earnestly and i mean to abide by it however cruel it may seem mr bulstrode smiled gravely as he watched these two foolish people he was very much pleased with his part in the little domestic drama and he contemplated them with a sublime consciousness of being the author of all this happiness for they were happy the poet has said there are some moments very rare very precious very brief which stand by themselves and have their perfect fullness of joy within their own fleeting span taking nothing from the past demanding nothing of the future had john and aurora known that they were to be separated by the breadth of europe for the remainder of their several lives they would not the less have wept joyful tears at the pure blissfulness of this meeting you asked me for my advice aurora said talbot and i bring it to you let the past die with the man who died the other night the future is not yours to dispose of it belongs to your husband john mellish having delivered himself of these oracular sentences mr bulstrode seated himself at the breakfast-table and looked into the mysterious and cavernous interior of a raised pie with such an intent gaze that it seemed as if he never meant to look out of it he devoted so many minutes to this serious contemplation that by the time he looked up again aurora had become quite calm while mr mellish affected an unnatural gaiety and exhibited no stronger sign of past emotion than a certain inflamed appearance in the region of his eyelids but this stalwart devoted 
impressionable yorkshireman ate a most extraordinary repast in honour of this reunion he spread mustard on his muffins he poured worcester sauce into his coffee and cream over his devilled cutlets he showed his gratitude to lucy by loading her plate with comestibles she didn't want he talked perpetually and devoured incongruous viands in utter absence of mind he shook hands with talbot so many times across the breakfast-table that he exposed the lives or limbs of the whole party to imminent peril from the boiling water in the urn he threw himself into a paroxysm of coughing and made himself scarlet in the face by an injudicious use of cayenne pepper and he exhibited himself altogether in such an imbecile light that talbot bulstrode was compelled to have recourse to all sorts of expedients to keep the servants out of the room during the progress of that rather noisy and bewildering repast the sunday papers were brought to the master of the house before breakfast was over and while john talked ate and gesticulated mr bulstrode hid himself behind the open leaves of the weekly dispatch reading a paragraph that appeared in that journal this paragraph gave a brief account of the murder and the inquest at Malish and wound up by that rather stereotyped sentence in which the public are informed that the local police are giving unremitting attention to the affair and we think we may venture to affirm that they have obtained a clue which will most probably lead to the early discovery of the guilty party talbot bulstrode with the newspaper still before his face sat for some little time frowning darkly at the page upon which this paragraph appeared the horrible shadow whose nature he would not acknowledge even to himself once more lowered upon the horizon which had just seemed so bright and clear i would give a thousand pounds he thought if i could find the murderer of this man End of thirty one